I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Move, a podcast which is hosted by me, Jamie Lang, and my business partner, Ed Williams. Now, in 2012, Ed and I founded our confectionery business, Candy Kittens, a business which I'd actually dreamed of having ever since I was six years old. And honestly, we wouldn't have achieved half of what we've been able to without all the amazing tips and advice we picked up along the way. Move stands for Motivation, Opportunity, Vision, Entrepreneurship. And each episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the stories of founders, innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs and winners who show us all what's possible with hard work and focus. So whatever you're moving towards, we hope today's guests will open your eyes to what you can achieve. This is Move. Edward, I'm excited about the podcast today. Tell me and everyone who we have on. So excited. So our next guest today started his business with just £500. Launched the company totally through social media, before social media really existed. He says that choosing who you get to work with and how you work is the biggest privilege of running his own business. And when talking about his approach, says that take advantage of every opportunity is key, no matter how big or small. Love that. Love that. Who is it? Today's guest is the founder of House of Holland, British fashion designer, Henry Holland. Do you know what? I feel like I'm very fashionable. I feel like I wear cool clothes. I feel like he's You've dressed up today for the yeah. occasion. Yeah. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm ready for this podcast mentally and fashionably. Let's do it. Henry Holland. Henry Holland, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm liking your shirt today. Oh, thanks. It's like two um, shirts in one. It is, yeah. I um, My little brother thought it was calm and I lied and told him it was. It's actually ASOS. Oh, <laughs> <I> tricked him. <laughs> he was like, that, that shirt's cool. I was like, yeah, it's calm. He was like, oh, cool. Oh, can't afford it. Nineteen ninety nine, really. ASOS. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit worried today because um, I, I said you had to get up and do a sort of interview. So I thought I would go quite bland because I had to do photos and things like yeah. that before but then I thought but then I had to rush from there I couldn't have time to go home so I thought I'm not going to look that fashionable today and I was worried that you'd walk in the room and go yeah you'd think in your head he's not that fashionable so that's freaking out a little bit well that would make me a complete douchebag but <laughs> so I'm glad we've started on how you perceived me before I arrived um I but know, no, you've got the next hour to change our minds yeah so okay go. yeah I mean that's how I approach most uh, meetings in life yeah. I overshare until people like me but do you but when you when you were younger and you were growing up were you always uh, interested in fashion were you always aware of what looked good what didn't look good what you liked and what you didn't like or did it kind of grow on you as you grew up I'd like to say I was always aware but I have seen photos of myself as a young person and I obviously wasn't uh, always aware of what looked good and what didn't. Um, but I think um, I grew up around a lot of very strong, stylish women, and that definitely informed my interest and love for fashion. And, you know, I think so many male fashion designers creating women's wear, it's very much about 
um, an evolution of us idolizing these women in our lives and how important they are to our formative years and how much we want to create characters for them, dress them and make them look and feel amazing. So, so who did you idolize? Was it your mother or your? Yeah, my mom. I have two mothers. I have two mums. So my mom, my stepmom, my big sister, my aunties, my grandmother. Just very strong women in our family, and always very stylish. And that was you grew up in near Manchester, is that right? I grew up in a place called Ramsbottom. <laughs> Lean into your mic when you say that. Ramsbottom. Thank you. Oh, nice. um, yeah, which um, people don't often say out loud, but it's true. Uh, I grew up in a place called Ramsbottom, which is you know there was never ever talk or the idea that a career in fashion or anything creative particularly was available to me in Ramsbottom. Uh, when I was at school, I did one of those uh, multiple choice quizzes in careers class. About, yeah, I did one of those. Yeah, what did you get? I got marketing. I got fishmonger. <laughs> <laughs> I said I liked animals, people, and working outside. <laughs> Obvious choice, yeah. Mongo would what be else? the best thing. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that, Henry, because we we spoke to one of your good friends, uh, Laura Jackson, yeah, uh, and <clears throat> she was talking about the same thing that um, when she grew up up north, and it was it was quite hard because you weren't for some reason the ideas of going to television or being a fashion designer or being these kind of things that I suppose. Um, I don't know how to put it like a, it'd be a sort of London sort of place, yeah. sort of work, you know, workplace. That wasn't an offer for, for people up north for some reason. And it, it was almost like it was too distant to even reach out for. Yeah, I think so. Like I, I, I applied to university to study journalism from being up north and I came down here and it wasn't till I arrived in London and I went into student halls and it was um, halls that were shared by Central St Martins and London College of Fashion and I was at London College of Printing that I realised that there was actual an entire industry and courses and degree courses in fashion that were available so then I tried to change after four days to a fashion course um but yeah it just wasn't really <laughs> wasn't talked about wasn't talked about really, yeah. and that's definitely not even at my sixth form college it was very much like more traditional university-based topics I think like media studies was a yeah. thing um I did that at level yeah, I did that. I did drama. I just, I, I, I was always one of those kids who I never really performed well at school, and I was, I was dyslexic and things like that. And I was told that um, I was actually told I just did a dyslexic test, and I passed it, or however you passed. I went back into my schoolroom and I said to my teacher, my English teacher, said, "Also, I passed the test. Why am I bad at spelling?" He went, "Well, Jamie, you're just stupid." That's what he said to me. Yeah, and so I was kind of pushed into this area where I just thought I was stupid. I think that happens with a lot of kids. But at school, were you were you the popular one? Were you the flamboyant one? What were you? How would you? What clique were you in? Well, I, w I went to an all-boys school uh, from being eight years old where they told us, the female teachers told us to call them sir just because it was easier, quote-unquote. No. Yeah. It was what? archaic. Yeah. So weird. Because we had maybe like two female teachers and the rest were male. So, so you every couldn't now possibly and again, distinguish them. So you know, just yeah, call them sir. because we're complete idiots and we can't tell a man between a woman. Um, <clears throat> so I was there until I was 12 and I hated it the entire time I was there, but it was the family school. It was a school that all of the men in my family had been to. Um, and so it took me getting pretty severely bullied in my first year at the senior school before 
I, I was allowed to leave. In terms of that, so you, because I've spoken to a lot, and I've spoken to a lot of people who went through that process of bullying and things like mm. that at school. And, you know, thank God we're in a sort of situation today where people are sort of really sort of trying to clamp down on those things that are happening in school. Um, you know, as a young guy going through that, what did it, did, did it make you feel insecure? Did it make you feel, how did it make you feel as an individual? Yeah, in the end, I just kind of, um, I shut down, really. I was very much a loud, probably quite flamboyant kid. Um, I was very artistic. I really, you know, I wasn't really into the academic side of school at all. Um, and so that school just didn't work for me. Similar kind of, you know, it sounds like a similar kind of vibe to what you went through, but they would, you know, kids that were good at art were the stupid ones or, you know, kids that didn't play football were just weird. And yeah. it was just like, okay, I'm sporty. I just don't like that particular sport. Um, but they couldn't really get their head around it. So it was just a very, um, like, macho environment, which just really didn't work for me at all. And that is the problem that is happening so many times is that it's 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 so true. Like you're you're told to follow a certain route, a certain road. And if you're not good at the maths or the geographies or the histories or things like that, then you are told that you are not quite right or you don't fit in. And so I suppose that your confidence was probably then knocked as you were growing up and you probably just didn't really think you were good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And then I went to an amazing school where I went from a thousand kids in a school to 55. And so I literally went from like little fish to like huge fish. It was great, shark in a tiny little pond. So um, that, yeah, and then I was at this really small independent school where I met the girl that I started my business with, age 12. That's wow. amazing, that's incredible. So you started your business with your friend who you met you when you were 12 years old? Yeah. So how did that, so you guys both went off to London together or? Um, no, so um, I moved down to London. I came to university here and then um, Agnes, Agnes Dean, who's the model, she was one of our friends from up north and she used to come down on modelling assignments and share my single bed in student halls, which was horrific. Um, <laughs> and then uh, our, our other friend, Jessica, who was kind of like the third kind of, bestie I suppose um she was working in a shoe shop and after a while of us being down in London she was like oh this is shit I'm coming I'm following you down <laughs> I'm coming to London yeah I'm coming to London so she came to London first of all she started working at Aggie's modeling agency and she was there for a bit and then I was working in magazines and then when I decided to set up the company I think I set the company up sort of late 2006 and she started on her birthday, she loves to remind me, um, April 25th in 2007. But it's also interesting, right, because a lot of people talk about this whole point that, uh, you know, w when you go into business, right, you should be very careful who you go into business with because... Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you can go through troubling times, they can be hardships, and everyone always wants to go into business with their best friend, because mm. I think that's correct. And in fact, most of the time, those fail. However, yours hasn't. What is the secret behind that, would you say? Well, she no longer works for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, good. <laughs> but no, we, we, uh, we worked together for an amazing, like just short of 10 years or about 10 years. And it was the best time. It was worth it was completely worth it. Um, people always say don't work with your best friends and I completely disagree. I think for me, the biggest privilege of running and owning my own business is getting to choose the environment that I spend the majority of my time in. So if I get to spend the majority of my time with some of my best mates creating something together that we feel 
passionate about, invested in, and, you know, over and above it being like a salary at the end of the month, that's so much more rewarding for all of us. And then at the same time, it's like, it's good fun. It's so interesting because, you know, and you were a guy from Ramsbottom, you uh, had your, your friends up there. And as you said before, you had no kind of in into this world of fashion or journalism and all these kind of things. And so uh, what kind of gave you the drive? What was that moment when you went, right, I'm going to now move to London. I'm going to go to college. there. I'm going to study there mm-hmm. at London College of Printing. Um and go and follow this dream. Did you know what you wanted to do or did you kind of sort of guess in a sense? I knew that I wanted to be in that world and I didn't really know what it looked like or how to access it until I got here. And so I came down and I literally was just willing to do anything and every uh, anything and everything for, <laughs> uh, for anyone who had the word like fashion in their business in on their business card or in their job title. So I came and just did work experience internships because I, from my perspective, I'd chosen the wrong course in doing journalism. It wasn't a fashion course. I, you know, I hadn't like dive, I'd gone. Was it ever going to be the right course when you sort of set out? Was <clears> it the right course? Or yeah, I think when I chose it, I thought it was the right thing to do, and I got some really good advice actually, which I still think was the right advice was to not go too specific for that part of my education so that I could then um, adapt those skills. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I've got like a frog in my hey, throat today. We have it as well. We, I'm coughing all over the place this morning. Just right. cough away. Oh, so you've Jamie given it me. Yeah, okay, yeah just keep coughing as well. Just cough so away. So glad fine. I came. <laughs> um, and so it was about learning a skill that I could then utilize into different fields. So, you know, this person was like, go and learn how to write, go and be a journalist, and then you can write about fashion for the rest of your life, which I think is incredible advice rather than, you know, specifying too soon and then being kind of pigeonholed. Um, and so that's what I did. But at the same time, I realized that fashion was really where my heart was and what I wanted to do. Um, and so I just went out and I made tea or, you know, carried bags or, you know, did the Starbucks run for anyone who would have me, basically. And I basically made all of my um, experience around my degree course. I built fashion qualifications outside of my course so by the time I graduated I finished my last exam on the Friday and I was a fashion assistant full-time job on the Monday that's insane amazing and then you end up as I was a fashion s- editor is that right yeah or? I was at smash hits magazine okay, so yeah, not yeah. L- not the highest echelons <laughs> of the fashion industry but it doesn't matter but, you're yeah, starting. Yeah. but the word fashion was in <clears throat> was the there, title yeah. yeah and then uh, my boss left after I'd been there a few months, and yeah, they made me fashion editor. So I was 21 when I was fashion editor. But that's what's interesting, right? So you had this work ethic that you were like, right, I'm just going to go and be, and we've spoken to a lot of people as well who, who had the same sort of style as that, being available. And making sure that people realise that you're available and, are, and uh, that you want to work hard and you're going to be there. Where do you think that work ethic comes from? Is it your family or did you kind of go, this is my escape from Ramsbottom, I need to work hard? I don't know. I've always felt like I'm more motivated by my mistakes than I am my successes. And I think choosing a, co- a degree course, because I fucking hated education. And by the time I got to university, I was like, I can actually now study something that I have any interest in like who gives a toss about Pythagoras when am I ever going to use it <laughs> my favourite is when your math teacher's like well you can't walk around with a calculator in your pocket all your life now I've got iPhones I'm like <laughs> fuck you bitch <laughs> <clears throat> actually I do um, <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, so I finally got to university and I was like, I can study something that I actually care about and like I'm going to want to go in every day. And on my first day, this like stuffy professor stood up there and he was like, so when you graduate from here and you go and work at your local newspaper and you go and work in the newsroom and I was like, Oh, again, I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, when I go to magazines and I, you know, yeah. go to parties for free. No, I'm kidding. Uh, there's a lot of that. But uh, that <laughs> <laughs> you talked a lot about kind of the getting out there and interning and just yeah. grabbing any experience you could. Lots of people, I think, understand the concept of doing that. Yeah. But then going out and getting after it and doing it, I think, yeah. is a different thing. So you were out there all the time yeah I just utilized any contact I had I ended up in teen magazines through um, a girl that my sister went to school with sold advertising for that uh, publishing house magazines and they started this new teenage version of heat magazine called sneak don't know if it was around I think I think I remember it I think it's, yeah but it was it was basically heat but with incredible features like blinging or minging or um where we'd like rate what people were on the red carpet and it was either blinging or minging. Or and was, was like, that you who came up with those those titles? I didn't come up with that title. I can't claim that, no. But uh, I was populating those pages for sure. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Um, and then uh, Smash Hits was kind of across the corridor and they utilised us as a kind of fashion desk. So um, I just, I ended up somewhere by mistake just by going out there and trying it out. You know, yeah. I, I say this to, I've got a younger brother and sister who are 22 and 23 now. And I've been saying it to them since they were about 13. I'm just like, go and work somewhere, just try it. You don't even, like, I think it's so much pressure to put on someone age 17, like what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And people still think about what they study at university as being that important. Yeah. And like, I don't know anyone really, apart from most of the people I went to uni with, <laughs> um, who do what they studied at uni. But I mean, I think you know, it's so important. I mean, I did a full 12 month internship whilst I, whilst I was at uni. I was lucky that I had one of those kind of degrees where you could oh, take yeah, a whole year out and out. do a placement. And for me, but, that taught me so much that I didn't want to do rather yeah. than what you do want to do. But also trying loads of different things. Like I knew I wanted to be in fashion, but I I tried, you know, like the ID days kind of high fashion style route. I tried styling, which is basically carrying bags up and down Oxford Street. <laughs> I tried uh, teen magazines, also carrying bags up and down Oxford Street. You know, um, but I just, I felt at home in teen magazines because it was fun. It was playful. You know, we were doing fashion, but we were doing fashion for, like, the bus stop. Mm. You know, it was like, it was, it didn't take itself too seriously. And that's where I just felt comfortable and I felt at home. 
And so that's where I stayed. But it's interesting as well, like you said it, because uh, most people, you know, what I always say about me, which I was, I was like, because I was given an allowance by my parents, I was lucky enough to discover what I wanted to do. Because I didn't have to go and work in the local Sainsbury's, or I didn't have to go and work in the local Asda to earn money to do things. I had my allowance, um, which was such a help and such a privilege to have. But you still need a work ethic to do sure, that. Sure, Because completely. there's so many people where that would be a hindrance because they wouldn't have the motivation because they're like, oh, I can just... Figure yeah. it out at my own time. But do you think, and it's funny that you say that, that you, what you did, you just went out there and tried different things and went and just did it. You were like, okay, I don't like that, fine. I know I don't like that. I'm going to go and do the other things. How much of your charisma and your kind of charm and the way you sort of are with people helped you into that world? Because a lot of people go, well, I got a work ethic. I was going to ask the same thing. You're obviously very sociable and... And, and that, and that, you know, is a huge help. Yeah. Henry's getting, he's getting very awkward and nervous now as he says. He's got a massive bead on. This is where I talk about how incredible I am. No, but just, if you, if you just had to, if you had to sort of separate yourself from your own body and just see you as mm. an individual, you know, that is what you are like. And how much does that help in that world? It, it definitely helps hugely. And I can answer this more from the perspective of me now working a lot with interns. So, you know, if I have an intern that spends some time with me and, you know, I get to know them on a personal level, you know, I get to know who they are, what they're about, you know, they've got that charisma and they become part of the team that you notice, you start to notice them when they're not there. And then you start to kind of feel that there's a gap in your team when they're not there. And that's what you have to do in, in a way of making yourself indispensable. That isn't necessarily about carving a role for yourself. It's also about carving a place for yourself in the team, in the wider team, in terms of the personality, in terms of, you know, going out for, not going out for drinks, but, you know, just being a part of um, the team that's, Creating the, but there the is work. that as well, you know, there's that social side where you, you know, you said in many interviews, you made most of, not most, but you made a lot of your contacts just being out there in the social scene, either mm. in nightclubs or parties yeah. where people are up to have a fun time and you can go and chat to them, whatever. And that's kind of the place where you actually make most of your connections, isn't it? Yeah. Well, for me, because I was, I was pretty much the plankton on the bottom of the pond of the fashion industry at that point, you know, <laughs> I was like, Topshop wouldn't let me close because I wasn't deemed, you know highbrow enough so the place for me where I got to mix and and kind of become a part of that higher fashion world was on the dance floor at nightclubs it was you know because we were all socializing together and nobody was sort of nobody gave a toss where you worked or what you did even it was just like you became friends with people because you had similar interests because you dressed in a similar way like the same you would do as you know anyone growing up um and then when I when I did decide to create my T-shirts, um, that hot, that world basically was where they were born from. They, I made those T-shirts to wear to those nightclubs, and from you know that that feeling that I'd picked up from being out there and that style that people used to wear when I was going to certain club nights, etc., and the people that I was hanging out with, it it made sense to that community, mm-hmm. and so when I made them, it, it kind of resonated with that. That higher and where fashion. did the kind of initial idea come from? Was that <clears throat> sorry? Had you always made your own clothes? Is it always something you kind of looking at and fancy to go at? So it it came from. So when I was doing all of these teen magazines, we used to, like it was the time when like Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie, the Olsen twins, and Lindsay Lohan were literally our bread and butter. I used mm. to spend nine hours a day looking at pictures of them 
you know, had they got thinner, had they not, <laughs> were they drunk, were they not, what shoes were they wearing, where can I rip them off in new look? That was literally my job, right, for seven hours a day. And I used to buy all of these spoof kind of slogan T-shirts off the internet, and I, I had this one of Paris Hilton's face that said, Air Mattress, like H-E-I-R. And then when Mary Kate went to rehab for anorexia, I had one that said Save Mary Kate. And all of these, like, kind of commentary on popular culture uh, mm. situations, and I used to buy them in bulk all the time, and that, that was kind of my wardrobe staple, that and any pair of jeans that was the same colour as a highlighter. I looked <laughs> like an idiot, let's face it. The new rave years, we all remember it, guys. Anything and everything you owned was around your neck, and you looked like you were sponsored by Stabilo. And... Um, and then, so I created these, and then, so I was like, oh, it was this ongoing joke amongst my friends. Like, oh, I, I might do some T-shirts for myself. I might create some. And it was like this ongoing joke being like, yeah, right. Um, and then I did. I created two. One that said, buy this Colleen. Do you remember when Colleen uh, Rooney was literally pictured outside cricket yeah. on a daily basis for like 75 shopping bags? I made one that said, buy this Colleen. And I made one that said, love me some Lohan. And um, a friend of mine was working at Heat and she did this feature on slogan T-shirts and she was like, I'll put them in. And so I put my mobile phone number as the stockist inquiry. It's still my number today if you get the back issue. And uh, and I was like, right, that's it. And I made, I think, like 150 of each and I literally sat by the phone and I was like, this is it. This and is I it. think I sold like four total. <laughs> um, and for years they were actually propping up my broken bed. Um so that didn't go so well. So then it became this kind of ongoing joke amongst my friends about like, oh yeah, put that on a t-shirt, that'll sell. Lol. Um, this was pre-lol actually. And um, and one of my, I was having lunch one day with one of my friends who was Gareth Pugh, the fashion designer, and he was like, um, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I was like, oh, I'll put that on a t-shirt because that'll sell. And I did, and it did. So it was, and I think it just kind of again, it was we were sat outside at a friend's house on our way to this uh, popular club night called Boombox at the time. And um, we were just sort of piss pissing around, like, rhyming designers' names, and they were in getting increasingly filthy and rude. <laughs> um, and the ones that we settled on were You Who Gareth Pugh, Get Your Freak On Giles Deacon, Cause Me Pain, Hedy Slimane, and Do Me Daily, Christopher Bailey. Um, so those are the original four. And uh, I made 50 of each and just gave them out to my friends. And they were very much in that new rave style. You know, they were very bright neons. Sorry. And uh, just the kind of things that I wanted to wear. Um, and so I, I just handed them all out. But I love that. But also what is so interesting, right, Henry, is that you you were a writer putting words on clothes. Yeah. And that's what's so insane, that you were combining uh, your journalism and your sort of smart, witty behaviour in that with uh, something else, you know, which was fashion. And <clears throat> what happens all the time is uh, subconsciously, without realising it, the things that you were good at, you're trying to put together. And how important it, was it for you to kind of stay true to what you believed and what you liked and what you would wear, because uh, that's quite a hard thing. Because you're what you're doing. You're like a you're like an artist who's going. This is what I like, but perhaps no one else is going to like it. But here you go. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because I've always said that it was a gradual step that I went from being a writer or a journalist to being a designer because I just wrote on clothes. I didn't design a T-shirt. You know, I used to buy them from American Apparel and print them. But it was very much a trend. You know, I used to use my writing skills and write on fashion. Um, 
And for me, yeah, because it, I didn't foresee it becoming a new career for me. You know, it was very much just a hobby. It was something that I wanted to do. And so the idea of me creating something that I wanted to wear was just really selfish. That was the point of me doing it, really, so that I had some stuff that I could wear that was new to Boombox every week. And at what point did the hobby become the career? Um, so that was in sort of around September, and and I gave and this is in two thousand six. Two thousand six. Right? Well, yeah, I didn't incorporate till two thousand seven. So if HMRC are listening, <laughs> get me later. <laughs> Sorry about it. Three months, but yeah, two thousand six. Uh, and I uh, I gave them out to my friends who obviously everyone who was featured on the t-shirt. Um, although I wasn't friends with Christopher Bailey at the time. Um, and so one of those was Gareth Pugh, and I gave him one of it, one of each T-shirt. And I went to his show, and I was sat on the floor, like, in between rows. Um, and one of his mates was like, oh, Gareth's got one of your T-shirts on today. And I was like, what? Um, and it was literally because he'd been in the studio all night and had a, hadn't had a chance to go home and get changed, that he was still had on the YooHoo Gareth Pugh T-shirt that he <coughs> wore the day before. And that must um, be an insane moment, right? For I was, yeah, I was bricking it. Yeah. Because I was like, I didn't really, I wasn't prepared for anyone to like see it in that sort of environment. And then because he was wearing another designer's name, Giles then contacted me through uh, a stylist and was like, oh, can I get the Gareth Pugh on? And he wore that the next day to his show. So it was kind of became this sort of write and reply thing. And uh, and then the day after that, I was back at my desk at a magazine at this point called Bliss, teaching 15-year-olds how to snog. <laughs> and you were a fashion editor there as well. I was a fashion editor there, yeah. And, um, and I got a phone call on my mobile, and it was like, oh, hi, Henry, this is Sarah Moore from American Vogue. Can I talk to you about your T-shirts? And I was like, what the fuck? Are you you're just sitting at your desk and that mm. happened? Yeah. Okay, and so she called, and then what did you do? You were like, okay. So I, I literally just stood up and walked out of a meeting, I think, with my editor. I was like, fuck this. I'm, I am made, mate. Um, so that, that, was a, that was at Fashion Week, so that was the September. And then in November, um, Lulu Kennedy asked me to do something at Fashion Week the following February. So I handed in my notice, finished at the Christmas holidays, did my first on-schedule fashion show, February 16th. And you started selling them straight away? Yeah. So because I didn't foresee that anybody would want to buy them or sell them on my behalf, um, I very much approached it like a kind of DIY, very much like musicians did at the time, um, on MySpace. So I have interns now that don't even know what MySpace is. It makes me feel about yeah, 907. I know. I bad, yeah. bad boy MySpace uh, profile. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You play Pac-Man on my yeah. profile. Music. I, had, I yeah. had a Bieber. Do you remember Bieber? I had a Bieber account and my, oh, yeah. and my quote on it was live fast, die young. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst piece of information, worst quote anyone's ever said. I don't want to... I remember like, quite a few people being on that though. Live yeah, slow and die really old. Yeah. That's what yeah. you want to do. That's a classic. Um, but yeah, it was when musicians were kind of promoting themselves on MySpace and, and getting quite uh, big followings and traction. And so I just posted them on my wall on MySpace with a, an HTML link to a PayPal purchase. Uh, and that's how I started selling them. And because of this Gareth Pugh, Giles Deacon thing, and because it got wrote up on style.com and things like that, I was actually selling quite a lot so I used to stay behind after work and do all of my international shit. my girlfriend had the Gareth P one yeah oh, really yeah. is that it yeah, but the, yeah. But she there's... would be annoyed if I didn't say that so <laughs> yeah. I said it. but I used, to, I used to stay late at work and ship them like 
all over the world through the post room at EMAP. <laughs> did you, so you, and you was to, did everything yourself. It was all you just doing it from the beginning. Everything that you were just trying to, you were just doing it all yourself. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think what there's two things here which I find interesting. The first thing is that moment when you hand in your notice and yeah. you're like, right, I'm going to risk it and yeah. go for it. How was that moment for you? Because that's pretty scary, especially coming from, you know, you came from Ramsbottom, I'll go back to that, where, you know, you came to London, it was all like this, here we go. And you're, you're getting rid of the security side of things. And then you're going into something which is a complete risk. Yeah, what that was quite scary. And because of the way that I'd managed to uh, create that experience around my degree and because I'd finished education, like straight away, gone into full-time employment, um, it was it was weird. I don't know if I have the right mindset to be freelance and kind of be ad hoc. I need a bit more structure than that or I need to know where the money is coming from. Yeah. So um, I... It was a bit weird, um, but it all again that was just my drive then to make it work because the minute I'd done that, I knew that I had to to really kind of take uh, every opportunity that came my way and make it pay. Jamie, bad news. That is the end of part one. What? I know, I know. We got there so quick, but don't fear. Part two is coming right up, just one click away. So everybody that's listening, just go over and click part two. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it really does mean a huge amount. And we also hope today's podcast has inspired you to move towards your dream or passion. Now, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email us at move at moveclub.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at moveclub. Until next time, this is Move.